Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning. Uh, We are officially in our Christmas season. We're doing a little Christmas series um, called Emmanuel, and uh, the word Emmanuel means God with us, and uh, in this season, we just really want to focus in on God being near. It comes from uh, a verse in Matthew that we find in chapter 1, verse 23, uh, in which God proclaims, it's actually a quote from Isaiah, but it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Fulfilling a prophecy of over 800 years prior to that time where Isaiah prophesies about a coming one who'd be born of a virgin, that he... When he comes, it will be God with us. It will be God in the flesh among us. And so with that, uh, we uh, wanted to just look at some common human experiences in light of Jesus being Emmanuel. The common life experiences that tend to derail our lives. So by example, uh, apathy could be one. If apathy gets a hold of us, It can derail our life. Despair, despair, hopelessness, that can derail our life. How about dashed expectations or mistrust in our heart, whether to God or mistrust in our heart to other people because we've been so hurt? Those uh, common life experiences can tend to derail our entire life. And so during this series and in this season, we want to focus on the nearness of God. And the powerful simplicity of the gospel of Jesus that has the power to transform us, to set us free, and to help us walk in the purposes for which you were made. Amen? So let's pray before we dive in. Father God, we thank you, God, so much for your word and your presence. God, with those two, God, there's nothing that we can't do. Father, for you are with us. And so, Lord, we just pray for this morning. God, have your way in our heart. God, whatever may be weighing on us as we walked in the door, I pray that right now we'd be able to lay it down at your feet and, God, hear from you. God, may you be our coach this morning, teaching and coaching us to be who you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, the common life experience that we kind of want to kick off this Christmas series on Uh, is common to all of us because we all wrestle with it. Uh, It can keep us up at night. Uh, It can consume us at times. It can consume our imagination. And that is a fear. Fear. Now, growing up, you probably went to school. Hopefully you did. Amen. Um, But you were pretty commonly exposed to fear. Uh, I remember in first grade, uh, the way our, our school was set up, uh, there weren't like full walls. Basically, there were like three-quarter walls. And so you could kind of hear across like the school grades. And I remember in first grade, uh, I had a great teacher, wonderful, wonderful, warm teacher. 
but you could hear the second grade teacher in first grade, and her name was Mrs. Joko. And Mrs. Joko was like, mean lady. You could hear, and so the whole year, there was like this, just from the other side, and the whole year, you're like, oh my gosh, she's going to be my teacher next year. She's going to be my teacher next year. So the whole, so I was introduced in fear in, uh, in grade school quite early. Um, what about a news report? Turn on the news and you hear a news report and it can instill a spirit of fear. How about uh, a person's approval? That can produce fear in us in hopes that we don't want to break their approval of us. A storm in life, just a circumstance that can come in and bring in with it fear. Or most common, fear of what may happen in an unknown future. That's mostly where our fears are kind of anchored, our pictures and thoughts of an unknown future that we're trying to fill in the gaps with. So humanity has a proneness to this emotion, has a proneness to this narrative, that of fear. Human nature, we see at the very beginning, Adam and Eve, when they disobeyed, what did they do? They hid because they were afraid. They were broken. God designed us to be one, to be family with God, but that was broken. Historical examples of fear are replete. How about a, a, a more common one in the last hundred years that we could kind of still reference in our imagination, uh, the fear of Jews in Nazi Germany, right? So fear took hold of that culture and began to see and began to, their whole country started, it, it went the other way. It started going towards fear and it changed everything. It's, it's how we're leveraged today, honestly, when you think about it. Uh, the media makes money off of our fears. Uh, if you haven't picked up that yet, uh, well, welcome, welcome. Um, that is, hopefully that's not new news to you, but uh, the media is both right and left, whatever media you listen to, they are paid to make you afraid, basically. Certain narratives that drive hysteria or the worst case scenarios are really big, not only for media, but for corporations. They make tons off of fear. Even religion has at times used fear to scare people into obedience. Fear never works. And in this day and age, we live in a culture that, like I said, makes money off of people being afraid, afraid of the future, afraid of lack, Afraid of other people's approval. Afraid. Afraid. So what happens when we fear? When we fear, biologically, what happens? It's kind of good to know. Um, there's a thing in your brain called the amygdala. And your amygdala is kind of your governing center. And uh, when there's fear uh, in your system or in front of your imagination and fear is produced in you, something happens physiologically in your brain. That amygdala that usually communicates with your frontal cortex, 
That, guess, where, guess what happens in that frontal cortex? That's where you think. That's where you think. That's where all the thinking happens. And when fear comes on that nice little highway that that frontal prefrontal cortex and that amygdala have, man, they talk all the time. They're talking. We're, we're assessing our environment. We're, but when that fear gets turned up, that amygdala shuts off that highway to that prefrontal cortex. So you stop thinking. Literally, you stop thinking. And you're left with your fight, flight, or freeze mechanisms to kind of keep you alive. That's what happens when fear takes a hold of us is that we stop thinking and we're reduced to like our base reactions. That's what's being fueled before us. You've heard the acronym of fear, false evidence appearing real. It's exactly what fear is. It's an illusion. It's an illusion or false mirage of the future, and that future picture is always without God. And think about the fear pictures that you've had flash before you about a relationship, a situation, a career path. And that flash is usually a picture without the presence of God anywhere near that picture. And so fear can keep us in emotional and spiritual bondage. It's that flash of imagination that things are going to go deeply bad, wrapped in emotional dread. That's kind of what fear is. Things are going to go bad, and I feel a lot of dread about it. That snapshot, we take and we overlay it into our present, and that's what dictates kind of how we behave. And what we fear a lot of times comes upon us. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, I knew it would happen that way. It's kind of how we think. And so we just finished this series in Deuteronomy. We were kind of looking at this Old Testament book, uh, kind of a defining Old Testament book. And we saw that fear that God's people exhibited when they got out of the promised land and they go up to, they, they get out of the promised land, they get out of Egypt, they go up to the promised land, and they send out spies into the land, and ten come back with this fear report. And then Joshua and Caleb come back and be like, hey, God said that he would give us the land. If he said it, he's going to do it. And that's exactly how Caleb and Joshua came back with that report. That would be kind of a report. That would be a a faith narrative. They came back with the faith narrative. Yes, we saw what was out there. We saw those big giants. We saw our enemies in the land. However, God is on our side, and he's going to deliver them into our hands. However, the other ten came back, and they're like, they're too big. They're way too big. We're going to die. God sent us out here to die, it seems like. But that fear that took hold, so the whole nation believed that report of the ten. And fear took hold of that generation. And so God had to send them back out into the wilderness for 40 more years so that that generation who was captured with fear died off. Because God's like, I can't do anything if my nation is in fear. Really. They're going to get captured and enslaved over and over and over again. So there's this fear narrative, and there's a faith narrative. 
Faith narrative meaning, man, I'm trusting him and I'm coming into agreement with how he sees things. I'm coming to agreement with how he sees things. And how many of you know, he sees things differently than you and I? Way different. And that's maybe new news to you. If media making money off you and God sees things differently than you. Amen. If you're taking notes, that's a great point. Anyway, he sees things differently than you. He thinks differently than you. But that's also, man, there's so much hope involved in that. Because it's like, man, I know that he has a perspective that's much greater, much deeper, and more based in reality than how I'm viewing it. So his thoughts are much better than yours, truer than yours, and more in line with reality than yours. God leverages our fear to grow our faith. God leverages our fear to grow our faith. Just like David did with or God did with David many years after that, after they enter the promised land and the nation of Israel. We find this story in 1 Samuel 17 with David, and he comes upon this battle scene, this battlefield in between Israel and the Philistines. And they, they kind of set up the scene, and the Philistines are on one hillside, and the Israelites are on an opposing hillside. And there is this giant named Goliath, and he comes out. It was one of, from Scripture that we find, one of the last giants yet to be kind of eliminated. And so Goliath comes out, and he charges the armies of Israel. And he said, I will be my, Philist, my people's champion. You send out one, and we're going to fight. And if I win, you become our slaves. If you win, we'll become yours but nobody's going to defeat me. And what's interesting is that uh, in uh, 1 Samuel 17, verse 11, it says, When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They were greatly afraid. They, they hear that charge from this, from this large giant of come out, just one person. And you start looking around. Well, who's it going to be? Definitely not going to be me. Who's it going to be? Who's going to step up and fight this guy? He threw down the gauntlet of a challenge that we now have to adhere to. We've got to send somebody out for us. What's interesting, it goes on. It says, in verse 16, it says, For 40 days the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. All the men of Israel... When they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. Now check out that scene. Goliath comes out for 40 days in a row. The nation of Israel are getting their armor on every morning and they're trotting out to the battlefield, afraid now. They're trotting out to the battlefield, making a big show of force yelling at the Philistines, Ah! Goliath would come out once in the morning, once at night, issuing the same challenge. Israelites would just yell and then go home. Yell and go home. Yell and go home. Could you imagine doing this over and over for 40 days, over a month? Go out, yell, come back home. The fear 
But that was producing in the Israelites, locked them up from even being able to do anything. Fear locked them up, kept them in bondage. So here comes David. What's going on here? He comes up and he assesses the situation. David's the youngest brother of seven other brothers. And some of his brothers are in the army of Israel, and he's coming up to feed his brothers. His dad had given them some food. Hey, go help feed your brothers on the battlefield. And so he's up there. David starts looking around, starts assessing the situation. Saul, who's the king, is kind of giving an order. Anybody wants to step up, please do. No one's stepping up. And so David, kind of getting a, a beat on the situation, says this. Your servant, says this to Saul, your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go up against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he's been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. Oh, yeah? He's been a man of war since birth? I've been keeping sheep. Nice response. But when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after it, struck him, and delivered that sheep from his mouth. I like that phrase. I delivered that from his mouth. Um, and if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, struck him, and killed him. Your servant has struck down lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Strength. David's bold courage for this moment was forged in the pasture in private. David had the courage to face his daily battles. Now, he could have been a shepherd, lion and bear come off. Hey, it's just one sheep. Man, I'm not going to fight that thing. Are you kidding me? No, no, no. He saw it as an owner. Man, I gotta, I'm, I'm alpha out here, baby, with, my, with Yahweh, and we're going to establish some dominance out here. David had steadfast confidence in God's victory over Goliath because he had a personal history with God that had given him victory after victory after victory. Why? Because David went after his daily fears. David went after his daily fears, and that forged in him a life of confidence with God. That victory after victory. Maybe a stumble along the way. I'm learning a lot. All right, but now I'm creating a, now a history with God. And so here comes this big scene, big public scene. David has been training for this for years. But he had to go after his daily fears. David had firmly established a faith perspective, a narrative over his life with God. When he's out in the field, he's worshiping the Lord. He's, he's finding meaning in the mundane every day. He's, if you read the Psalms, if you just read through the Psalms, some of David's Psalms, the way he talks about the nation of Israel, the land, it's like you'd think it's like Pandora, Tertaria, like whatever you think, like just this like a beautiful utopia. And you're like, man, that's just a little hill, but you're talking that that's a mountain? It's like this flower language. Why? It's because David out in the wilderness was forging this relationship with God. But if David had not developed that confidence before God, 
Think about this. Think if you were him. Confident, whoa, 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 where we go. A confident faith in God. Imagine, he would have gone up and given into that spirit of fear that the rest of the army of Israel was given into. He wouldn't have had the strength to come and see it in a different way. He would have come up and like, big brother, oh my gosh, oh oh my man, look at that, look at that giant, who's going to fight him? And he would have just come in right under that umbrella of fear. No victory for the nation of Israel and definitely no victory for God. The things we're afraid of in our daily life are the very, very things God uses to develop in us a living and active faith. A living and active faith that actually impacts your life. So ask yourself, self, how long are you going to live tormented by that fear narrative about whatever it may be for you? Do you think fretting over it is going to help you out in any way? Fear can take hold and change us. Fear changes us. It alters our course. The longer we're in agreement with it, fear can alter our course. And it's the enemy's trap. Excuse me, that rolls right into our last example, one of, one of Jesus' own. One of Jesus' own disciples, Simon Peter. Talk about Emmanuel. I mean, he was one of closest, Jesus' closest disciples. Jesus was near, near to Peter when Jesus was alive. But Jesus gets arrested. And when Jesus got arrested, Peter got captured by fear. And so he's at the arrest of Jesus while Jesus was on trial. Peter followed kind of behind uh, them capturing Jesus, and he's out in the courtyard, and There's some people out in the courtyard, and there's a middle school girl that sees him and notices something very familiar about him being a Galilean. And she says, hey, you're friends with him, aren't you? Peter's like, no, 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 you got me wrong. No, no, don't know him. Does it three times over. It's so interesting. That fear narrative won out over Peter. And it says, after the rooster crowed, he says he ran off. And then we find in John 21 where he went. And in John 21, Jesus comes back. And in the context of what we find in this gospel, Jesus seems to come back not just to reveal who he was to his disciples. Hey, resurrected body, here you are, guys. I'm back, right? But specifically, it seems like he came back to restore Peter. And him giving in to that fear narrative that he knew where it was going to take his life from that point on. He knew he needed to specifically restore Peter because of his denial. So John 21 says this, John 21 verse 15. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And Jesus said to Peter the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. 
you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Jesus came to restore Peter's heart from giving into fear three times over. That would have forever changed who Peter would become. If he was allowed to let the fear narrative win out, Peter would have been tormented by the mistakes of his past that there would be no way for him to walk in the confident confidence that he's been made to walk in. What a restoration. Man, that fear, that would have kept Peter from feeding, a.k.a. leading Jesus' flock. That would have handicapped him. That would have hampered his ability to lead God's people. But Jesus had to counter Peter's agreement with fear with declarations of believing loyalty. Faith is the countermeasure for fear. Faith is the countermeasure for fear. A fear narrative that creates imaginations without God. A faith narrative creates imaginations that's founded upon reality, upon His faithfulness, about His protection, about His being a promise keeper, that He not only issues a promise, but He actually keeps them. Faith knows that God is the God of the past, present, and future not just the past. He's the God of the future. So when we start thinking about your future, start throwing Him right in the dead center of it. And when fear tries to take a hold and create images and storylines that always discounts God, no, 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 no. We need to start speaking to our soul a little bit, our imagination. No, that's not how this is going to go. You know, you can dictate what goes through your brain. That's serious. It's true. You can dictate what goes through your gray matter. Isaiah 41, verse 9. You whom I took from the ends of the earth, as God speaking, and called from the farthest corner, saying to you, You are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. Man, that's just some strong word. That's a strong word to memorize and get in your soul and that when fear tries to take a hold, no, 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 I will not be dismayed for God is my God. I will, he will strengthen me. He will help me. He will uphold me with his victorious right hand. Man, starting to preach to your soul. It's powerful. Deuteronomy 31.8, it's the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Like I said last week, that phrase, do not fear, appears 365 times in the Scriptures. Why? Because we need to hear that thing every day. Do not fear. Preaching God's Word over your circumstances. Man, this is where we need to grab a hold of and actually execute, church. Taking God's living and active Word of God and learning how to embody it, live it out. The world is not going to do it for you. Actually, it's going to work against you doing that. It wants to keep you in fear. For me, just being vulnerable, over the past eight years, I'd say my greatest fear has been just seeing the decline of our culture. And being a student of history, uh, I can foresee where things could possibly go with that. But one thing the Lord has grown in my life and so sometimes when I get, because I love worldview, love culture, love, but when I'm kind of too into that world, fear can begin to start taking a hold of me. And I just, in the last eight years, it's one thing that God has just 
I'm just so grateful, just helps shape my heart to just counter fear with faith. It's reminding ourselves who you are, who God truly is. And so from that, it's like, man, what a time to be alive. Man, it's a shit show out there. But what a time to be alive. We've been born for such a time as this. What may look chaotic to us, God knows what's going on. You read Psalm 2, and it says, man, the, the, the schemes of man, they think they're going to conquer God. God sits up in heaven and laughs over their schemes. God is the God of all creation. Uh, with all this cultural stuff, God is drawing people to him. So while, you know, it's like, oh, man, it's going crazy. Actually, this is where God begins, starts seeing it the way he sees it. Man, this is a great time to be alive. God is waking people up. God is waking people up in a way that I've never seen in 46 years of being alive. In the last three years, God has, I felt, wake, woken more people up to reality than it's been beautiful. Exposing darkness so we can build a brighter and more beautiful bride. Renewing our first love so we can be the proper spirit-filled, truth-centered servants of the living God that he's made us to be. So it's reminding ourselves daily, proclaiming it to others. I'm not just like proclaim it over my life in kind of my personal time, but I need it. So I start proclaiming it over other people. Hey, man, what a great time to be alive. Why am I doing that? I'm preaching to myself because I need to believe it more. That's been my fight. What's been yours? I feel like just in this, we kind of close right now feel like God really wants us to kind of maybe do some business with whatever fear may be tormenting you in this season. Again, fears can come and new fears can arise. So is there a fear that you want to do business with God so that you are no longer under that weight or that burden? Emmanuel, God with us. He's near. It's not just some concept or something to experience when you go and die. It is a life to be experienced in the here and now. Infinite, eternal life that you get to enter into today as we follow God. Jesus came to deliver us from fear. A whole new world opens up when we embrace a perspective of faith. How God sees that thing versus how I'm seeing it. It's usually devoid of God's presence, his faithfulness, and it's usually of the worst-case scenario. And so, God, with this fear, let's just kind of, let's just pray. Just enter into just kind of a space of prayer with the Father. So, Father, I mean, God, we're asking you, God, how do we see by faith? And from your word, God, you, we can gather that it's coming to you and admitting our fear. It begins right from a place of honesty of just coming to you humbly and saying, God, I'm afraid. God, I am afraid. God, I, I'm not perfect. I'm afraid. And then taking that fear and repenting of agreement with or allowing your flesh with the assist from the enemy, to create false imaginations. You have come into agreement with false imaginations 
that has taken you over, that has captured you, that has now enslaved you, that has manipulated your, imagi- or your imagination and your emotions and your vision of the future. And so we say, God, just repent of giving into that fear. So if you can, just in that space, God, whatever that fear is, isolate it. And we say, God, we repent of falling into agreement with those false imaginations, those false pictures that God to us seems so real because they come with a lot of emotion that makes it seem so real. But, Father, we repent of coming to agreement with those imaginations in Jesus' name. Father, we receive your forgiveness. Father, we thank you for your forgiveness. There's nothing that we earn. We just ask. God, forgive us for agreement with these imaginations that's captured us. And God, we ask that you would replace that fear narrative with a faith narrative, knowing that you will never leave us, you will never forsake us, that we're a part of your family, God, that we're your sons and daughters, God, that you have a calling and purpose over our life, that you will use us as you see fit for your glory, and that gives us great joy. So, Father, we pray that you would replace just, God, I pray just in these next, this next week, God, as, they, as people leave, as they're driving home, before they get into chief game mode, God, I pray that, Lord, we would be people that would not bow to fear, that we would be a people that, that are living in faith, that are surrounded by people of faith. God, that, Lord, I can't keep my edge sharp as close as, as sharp as I want it. God, I need other people reminding me who I am, reminding me, encouraging me, lifting me up, correcting me at times. God, because it's our charge before you to live in faith. Father, it's the only thing that actually pleases you. It's faith. So, Father, Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would just have your way with this fear. Just cast it out in Jesus' name as we come out of agreement with it. And, Father, I pray that you would just be on our imagination. No, 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 God, that we would help us, teach us how to speak to our soul. No, 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 that's not who God is. That's not who I am. That's not who God made those people to be. They may be a little different, but that's definitely not how God sees them. So, Father, I pray that you would remind us this week, God, we are not ones that have been given a spirit of fear. Just as 2 Timothy has been saying to us for a while, God, you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power love and a sound mind. Lord God, thank you for your spirit that guides us and leads us and your word that keeps us anchored and centered. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org, and we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.